most people, they will look at any photographer's pictures and they simply will not understand the true value of what's really happening and what's going on behind the scenes and what people are really bringing to the table. And so the way you kind of create that bridge to get people on that path of understanding like, what you really do is you start off with attraction. It's a lot like dating, right? The very first thing you need to do is you need to get people's interest and you need to kind of build this idea of desire so that they actually want to get to know you. They start to see you with kind of rose-colored glasses and you show them and listen to everything you talk about in the right light. And so I would say you got to focus on attraction. Hey everyone, my name is Michael Howard and welcome to the Musea Podcast. Hey, I'm Spencer Lum and I run the photography blog Ground Glass, which is a blog for photographers really about courageous marketing and finding your voice and getting it out there and using it in a way that draws in clients. So I started photography back in 2003, and that was really when I opened the doors to my studio. Before that, I had been a photojournalist, I had been working in various freelance jobs, and I'd been doing that for a long, long time, going all the way back to the film days and before digital even existed. But when I opened up shop, my first full season was in 2003. And from there on out, really, I've been shooting continuously. And my focus has been wedding photography, even though I've also done family, I've done children's work and, and what have you, as well as a little bit of kind of, let's say, fashion and personal work on the side. But I've watched the industry change a ton in that period. And one of the things that's really changed is when I started, it just come out of the big recession and things were starting to pick up steam and the wedding photography industry was just kind of blowing up at that point. And over the years, you know, where I've gone since is, I mean, like everybody, I've had to kind of run as fast as I could to keep up and figure out ways to stay competitive, even though the market has gotten more and more saturated. And so I've really, you know, I've been working at this for a long time now, and I've seen kind of big changes in the industry in all forms of photography. And what people face now is so, so different. And I've been kind of working through that entire span and working on trying to figure out ways to come up with solutions to keep businesses going so that, you know, we can do what's important to us, which is taking pictures. Mm -hmm. Tell me about Ground Glass. When did you start Ground Glass and why did you start Ground Glass? So that's an interesting question because I really don't remember. I always have to look it up. When people say, like, when did you start Ground Glass? I actually have to go back and I have to go look at my notes. But it was probably like around 2010-ish, something like that. Yeah. So quite a while ago, like 2010. So that's doing the math, like roughly seven-ish years, something in that range. Okay. And then why did you decide to start that? Because it's something additional you're doing outside of just obviously shooting for yourself. Yeah, the reason I started Ground Glass was really because I had seen so many changes in the photography industry. And I really, I mean, I took all the hits all along the way. I mean, I have made every single mistake possible and usually many times over. And it's just, you know, the market got so saturated. It got hot and crowded and dense and it became really difficult to find a way to get people frankly, just to hire you. Mm -hmm. It used to be you put your name out there, you got the word out, you would get business. And I saw this change where what it became was you had to find a way to really differentiate yourself and stand out. So that's what I had to work through with my business. And I saw so many people who were coming into it who were new to the industry who were really struggling. And some of them, they took beautiful pictures, but they just couldn't figure out, like, how do I get business? And so I started writing about ground glass because there were two things I saw, and it came from two different directions. I saw some photographers 
who really, they did know how to produce great work, but they couldn't figure out how to get business. And then I also saw other photographers who were kind of coming into the scene, but the industry had really shifted. And a lot of the people who were coming to the scene and a lot of people who learn now, you learn on your own. <laughs> it used to be when I started photography way, way back when, you'd kind of have a mentor or you would learn on the job. And so the way you learned photography was much more formal and much more structured. But now it was kind of, you came in and you know, you were left to your own devices and you had to figure out how to shoot and how to figure out what this idea of like finding your voice is and figuring out how you say something with it. And that was the second part of it is that I saw a lot of people coming in and there really wasn't any guidance on how to develop your photography or, Mm -hmm. you know, to connect both ends of that, how to take voice you develop and turn it into something that actually works for your business and isn't just something where, for example, all your photographer friends say, that's cool, but no one else in the world actually pays any attention. Right. And so you just wanted to help other photographers, but I mean, has this turned into like just a second business for you? Oh yeah. No question. You know, I, I think it goes through a little bit of a cycle. I mean, you know, I think back and kind of, okay, you see this opening, like anytime you're running a business, right? You see there's a market need and you mm-hmm. say, okay, this is something that you think people would want. And so the very first time I created the blog, I'm thinking to myself, well, okay, I'm going to you know, start a business. The funny thing is I actually just enjoyed sharing so much that I think for the first four years, I didn't even have a product. Mm-hmm. I was just like writing like a bad man and putting stuff out there and speaking and I don't know, this conference or that and things like that. And I loved it. <laughs> but in a way, I got derailed in a really wonderful way from my own plans. And it really just kind of was about education for the first four years. But then, you know, after a certain point, I'm like, well, okay, if I want to sustain this and be able to keep doing this, I need to find a way. I need to get back to kind of what I originally was thinking of when I started, which is, of course, finding a way to make it a business. And so, yes, now, I mean, I've created a series, you know, I have several courses and what have you, and I have turned it into its own self-sustaining business. And so I kind of have both businesses. I've got ground glass and then I have my photography business and, um, you know, they kind of feed off of each other, fortunately. Yeah, fantastic. So let's get into a little bit of marketing stuff. I'm just going to pellet questions at you, and we can go through as many as you want. I'm sure we'll have spinoff questions as we go through stuff, but let's just kind of get, I guess, at the nitty-gritty of maybe what you're doing now, which are the main question, I feel like, maybe what is behind ground glass is if you go to coffee with a photographer and they're like, I need some advice from Spencer. And you look at the portfolio and you're like, you know, this is solid work. Like it's not bad. It's not the best work I've ever seen, but it's enough to run a business on. It's a sustainable quality work. But they're like, my biggest struggle is just getting clients or inquiries. So in 2017, what would be your advice to this photographer? So many things. Yeah. Uh, you know, depending on what day of the week it is and how I'm feeling in the morning. Right. If I had to give one answer above all, the thing I focus on more than anything is this idea of attraction. Because that's really what makes things stick. And attraction is just, it's one of those things where as a word, as like a centralized idea, I think that brings in kind of many, many, many different things you want to know as a business owner. And to me, that might be focal point of kind of the ground glass universe. And what I see is kind of a good marketing and a good sales strategy. But at the end of the day, attraction is this very specific mechanism, right? You can't just sit around and convince people, hey, you know, I'm really good, so you should be 
attracted to me. Attraction is this kind of very specific step-by-step process where you kind of bring people into your inner universe, Mm -hmm. where they start from a point where they look at your pictures. And to be quite honest, most people, they will look at any photographer's pictures and they simply will not understand the true value of what's really happening and what's going on behind the scenes and what people are really bringing to the table. And so the way you kind of create that bridge to get people on that path of understanding like what you really do is you start off with attraction. It's a lot like dating, right? You know, when you first, the very first thing you need to do is you need to get people's interest and you need to kind of build this idea of desire so that they actually want to get to know you and they start to see you with kind of rose-colored glasses and they start to see everything you show them and listen to everything you talk about in the right light. And so I would say, you know, the very first thing it's, I would say you got to focus on attraction as a single word that might almost sound obvious, but it's actually the exact opposite of what most people do. Mm -hmm. Because if you look at most marketing strategies, it is based exactly on the idea of just get the word out. If enough people see my work, then someone is going to hire me. And Going back to when I started back in 2003, I mean, in different economies and different times, that can work. If there is a situation where there is an excess of demand and a limited supply, and in other words, like just tons of people want what you've got, then all you really need to do is get the word out. But the problem is that right now we have the exact opposite. There are photographers kind of coming in left and right from all over the place, and you have an excess of supply and limited demand. And when you have an economy like that, then the only way you can reel people in and really differentiate yourself is to start with attraction. And so kind of the old model Getting the word out, the problem is, like, if you get the word out, if people can't appreciate your pictures just by looking at them, then you're not going to stand out. Mm -hmm. You're just going to be put on a spreadsheet of you and 10 or 20 other people, and people are going to sit around, they're going to ask, like, how much do you cost? And then if you're not competitive, then you're out. And the last thing, of course, you want to be picked on is, or judged by, (laughs) is how much you charge, because ideally, you always want to be charging more than everybody else who is kind of shooting at an equivalent level, let's say. So attraction, that's where I'd start. Okay. And so for me, like you talking about that, one of the things that pops in my head immediately is two terms is if you read books on marketing and things is push marketing versus pull marketing. And so it sounds like you're talking more about pull marketing where you pull people into your world versus just buying as many Facebook ads and just pushing out your message. Just push, 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 that type of thing. Yeah. You know, push is great once you have the attraction. Right. And attraction, you know, it operates at every level. And so let's say, like, one of the things I hear all the time, and Facebook ads, I mean, I run a ton of Facebook ads because I use that as part of my marketing for ground glass, but it's not something I talk a lot about for photographers. But I will use this as an example. One thing I hear all the time is people say, well, Facebook ads, they don't work. And you'll go and you'll look at the ad and it'll say something like, hey, if you need a photographer, just click here. Right. And it's like, well, <laughs> of course it's not going to work. I mean, because there's no attraction there, right? There's no value. And mm-hmm. if you look at a typical Facebook feed, it is just plastered with extremely attractive content. And by that, I don't mean like high value. It's really important to know like value and attraction are completely different things. But just like, you know, these headlines that you look at, you look at them and you can't help but get curious and want to know and want to click on things. And so if someone's going to put up a sponsored ad, which already just by saying sponsored is putting you at a disadvantage compared to all the free content in your feed. But if you're going to put up a sponsored ad and it just says nothing more than, you know, hey, check me out, basically, then you're going to lose. No one's going to click on it. And so, you know, that's a really, really simple example. But You know, if you put together a Facebook ad and you don't put the right, like, one sentence there or whatever else, I mean, it's impossible to get anyone to even click to go and look 
at your website or if you send people to a landing page, which a lot of people actually they don't do, but they should, or, you know, or they don't put much work into their landing page, which again, you know, if you're going to run an ad, you should. Attraction is what makes it stick, right? So I'm all for the idea of kind of pushing information out there. But it is just one of those things where, like, to give you an example, I've had Facebook ads when I started, you know, had Facebook ads where just to acquire, as an example, what goes on behind the scenes with ground glass, I'd pay like, you know, 40 bucks to get one person on an email list. I mean, you can imagine, like, it's like you can't run a business if it costs you $40 to get one person on an email list. And I've had other ads where I've paid, let's say, you know, 10 cents to get someone on an email list. And you can imagine, like, if you're, you know, whatever the math is there, how many times is that more? 400, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, attraction is the difference between being, you know, in this example, 400 times more effective with your marketing. And so it's like, yeah, you know, getting the word out is great once you get to the point where you've got kind of that attraction DNA, where people look at whatever words you write and your curation and every other thing. I mean, there are tons of levels where attraction comes into play. But, you know, if you've got it where it's optimized and working, then yeah, you know, that's when you want to push. Mm -hmm. But if you're just going to kind of sit around and try to get the information out, I think there's this fundamental mistake that is based on this idea of our value. Because, you know, that would be great if people could appreciate our value. But every time I'm talking in front of a group and I ask this question, I'm like, well, okay, how many of you feel like your clients really understand your pictures? And it's like everyone shakes their head. It's like everyone knows. It's like, you know, consumers, they don't understand and it's not their job to. It's our job as business owners and our job as people, as creatives who champion the work that we create to make sure to find a way to get that out and make people see the value in our work and not just assume that people are going to get it right away. Mm -hmm. So kind of talking about this push-pull attraction idea is obviously terms like, you know, clickbait, all that is floating around where you see a lot of online blogs have built businesses around they're really good at attracting people. It's like, see the top 10 list of blah, 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 or what happens next, or these things that create questions in your mind, so you want to investigate further. So the topic from there would be, let's say you are able to get people into a website, landing page, whatever, but they're not taking the next step to contact you or to inquire about possibly hiring you. Essentially, like they're not getting the value that you just talked about, like yeah. whatever page they're ending up on, they're not getting it. Does that make sense? What are some mistakes maybe there that photographers are making of where they're not communicating their value correctly through their websites? I mean, the biggest thing by far is I think people, when you create a landing page, and this is easier said than done, but in general terms, the thing you have to do is you have to put yourself in the shoes of the user. And, you know, I've heard these studies and I'm sure you've heard them too, but it was something like people see about 5,000 ads a day. And this is mm-hmm. from the mid-2000s. So this isn't even like right now. I don't know what the number would be right now. But I've heard studies done where people would see, let's say, about 5,000 ads a day in maybe the late, you know. Yeah, 2008 or something. Yeah, 2008 or whatever, right? And so you see 5,000 ads a day. And as someone who is looking at information, your brain's job is basically to block out information as effectively as possible. And so let's say someone clicks and they go to your website, right? And the thing about a website is that, you know, if you click and you've said whatever it was you used to attract people, maybe you offered a giveaway with 
10 strategies to have better looking poses, right? Mm-hmm. And then they click on a landing page and then you say, okay, you know, submit your email or give me a call or whatever. I mean, what will happen is that, you know, the user is still in this mind of massive skepticism and massive doubt. And, you know, what we think people are coming to our pages for is to check us out and look at your information and they're really interested. But what the typical person is doing when they're going from website to website is they are clicking on it because the curiosity was enough to create an itch that they wanted to scratch, but they actually do not want to read. They want to just confirm that this website is useless so they can get back to their regular life and not have to be <laughs> stalled like for five minutes reading something. Yeah. And so the very first thing you got to do is you've got to destroy that skepticism. And the way that starts is as simple as it sounds is fulfilling the promise <laughs> of whatever it was that you just talked about. So if you've talked about a giveaway about poses, then you should have a landing page that talks about, let's say, something dealing with poses and that gets into the, you know, what's on the client's mind. If they clicked on poses, then you know that they're probably feeling uncomfortable about how they look in front of a camera. And so, you know, you go to a page and the very first thing they should see is something that addresses that concern because that's obviously why they're there. And if you do address that concern, then you know, obviously something like that, if that's what they're thinking about and that's what they're worried about. I mean, already right away, you can see it's like, okay, that's going to increase your conversion and that's going to get people a lot more interested, right? But what I'll see all the time, for example, is that people will go to a page and then they'll click on it and it'll be just this really generic page giving like a description of, you know, I believe in this and this is what we do and check out our pictures or check out our video with a slideshow and stuff like that. It's like people aren't ready for that. (laughs) When they're in that kind of that that skeptics mindset, they see that and they're like, okay, no value there. I'm getting off. Mm -hmm. And what you need to do, you know, going back to it is you need to get into the head of the person who's just clicked on it. And you need to fulfill that promise and you need to lead them down this path in small little incremental steps that fulfills that promise. And kind of, again, you know, it's like dating is my favorite metaphor for these things. Like, what do you do when you first go out with people? And usually you you talk, but if you've ever noticed, like when you watch people dating, they're just immensely interested in one another. You're asking the other person questions and you're acting like they are the most fascinating person in the world. And you want to make them feel good and make everything about inside their head and they feel great and they get really excited it's like wow someone wants to know about me and then eventually as the relationship develops then what starts to happen is if you ever look at like at a certain point with couples they're spending their days talking all about themselves here's what i did here you know you get married and suddenly it goes back to them it's all about me yeah <laughs> but if you've ever noticed like when people first start out their interactions are actually very focused on the other person and that's what you have to do with ads. You have to get intensely focused on making people, in this case, you're not making them feel good about themselves, but you're fulfilling something that's causing them a really big problem in their life. Because until you can get people like connected and interested in seeing that you actually care about them, what's going to happen is they, frankly, they just won't care about you. And so, you know, the, the great thing is like, you know, you create a headline and let's say you create a little bit of intrigue. But the true solution to creating real attraction isn't to, yes, you want to generate curiosity. You want to generate interest. I'm not saying that you don't want to kind of, to some extent, it's not like you don't want to string people along. But you want to string them along in a way that kind of feels good to them, that really satisfies whatever it is that they're looking for. So it has to be intensely focused on the mindset of the audience. And I would say, I mean, if people would just do that, 
if they would sit around and their very first words they write, like the very, you know, the headline they have on the landing page, if they would just sit around and say, okay, what did I just offer in this ad that I had or what have you? And, you know, how do I take that just like one tiny little step further to let people know that I am thinking about them and I can give them something valuable and I'm going to talk about what's interesting to them. I mean, already that's a huge step right there. Mm-hmm. All right, we're just going to take a quick break from the podcast. And I want to let you know, at the Museum Lab, we focus on archival materials and processes. We specialize in inkjet printing and print on the best papers on the market. If you need prints for an art exhibit, a wedding client, or a portrait client, we'd love to work with you. Check out all of the printing, matting, and framing we can do for you at musealab.com. Soon, we will be adding museum-quality albums to our product line. We will be offering a matted album and a non-matted album with hand-stitched binding. So stay tuned for news on our albums in the coming months. Also, we'll be at Imaging in 2018 here in Nashville. So if you're attending Imaging, please swing by our booth and say hi. We would love to meet you. Last, if you enjoyed the podcast and would like us to record and release more episodes, consider supporting us at patreon.com slash musea. For only $5 a month, you get access to Musea Podcast Archive, and you help us cover our production costs so that we can afford to produce four shows a month versus the two episodes we currently release. All right, so back to the show. I listened to Donna Miller's podcast, the Story Brand Podcast. I don't know if you ever listened to that. They talked about, like... You get on a web page, the first thing you need to see is like, they need to, basically it's three sentences, like what you do, the problem you solve for whoever is on the page, and then how to get that thing. This is really it. Basically, like you need to be able to sum up everything in three sentences. And if you're having a block of text right away, that they're just not going to read it. Kind of what you're describing too, is this kind of leading people along thing is what other people, I would say in the startup world would call a sales funnel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you get them at the top entry point and there's maybe 10 steps and you think through like, okay, here's step one. I got them to step two, which is to get to the website. And the step three is maybe I need them to click on a certain thing to sign up so I can capture their email. And then step four is blah, blah. And, you know, and by like step eight, they're like handing you money. But there's a very strategic, you're giving them little bits that they can consume and understand. Yeah. yeah. And you move them from one thing to the next so it feels seamless and natural and you're not overwhelming their brains yeah i I mean it's like you know you're on a date what's your goal to get to another date (laughs) i mean if you're looking for a relationship i mean yeah it's not to like propose right (laughs) yeah i mean the metaphor it's like what's happening is that people are sitting around thinking that's exactly it it's like you know you're gonna hit my landing page and let's get married right (laughs) people aren't close to ready for that you know for good reason Right. Mm -hmm. So I occasionally talk about funnels. I know when you start talking about funnels, if you're like the last thing you really want to think about as a photographer is like sales funnels. Yeah. That's exactly the principle. Gotcha. What are some things since we're on websites? I thought about this question of like, what would you say should not be on your website? Because I feel like as I go through photographers websites, I basically see way too much information, way too many pictures. Yeah. They almost put like all the information on their website. So that if a client contacts them, they assume like you should have all your answers already. And so if they're contacting me, they should be ready to book. Right. So 
what would be your advice on that? Like maybe what are some things you should take off of your website? Oh, that's an interesting one. You know, it's funny. No one has ever asked me that question before. Well, here we go. Yeah, I know. Here's my chance. (laughs) And what I would say is, you know, there's there's never an easy answer to these things. If you handed me a website, it's one thing I'll look at one in front of Mm -hmm. me. But there are two different sides to it, right? There's kind of what you're about, which is, let's say, your purpose. You know, I call it your why sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know, why is a very popular term thanks to Simon Sinek and his book starting with why right right and so <laughs> not like that's terribly original but anyway you have two different sides to it right you've got your why which is kind of that thing that you do that your purpose what you get out there and why you're taking all the pictures you take and kind of what motivates you and kind of the bigger picture not just of like what you put into your pictures but just kind of really I mean what you're about as a whole and not just summed up by your pictures only so you've got that on one side And you've got what people want to know about. And it's really, I mean, every audience wants to know about something slightly different, right? And so usually, I mean, I'll use a wedding example because that's what I'm most familiar with. But it applies regardless of what type of photography you do. So let's say you have, you target, I'm going to use a word that I phrase I hate, but you know, like high-end weddings, right? <laughs> right okay. And let's take it in the most stereotypical way possible, like these big frou-frou puffy tresses and these big box ballrooms that are really lavish, really expensive. And let's get even more specific. And let's say your particular flavor of high-end weddings are this group of people who really want to show off. Like they want to show their level of prestige and they want to show how significant they are and how good their taste is and everything else, right? Okay, so you've got that. And what you'd want to do is kind of take your why, your reason you do everything. And I mean, the very first thing is like, you should have no content that violates that. Mm -hmm. A lot of times people will. They will throw out stuff on their about section or their hobbies or God knows what. And they will talk about things that has absolutely nothing to do with their kind of their central premise of why they take pictures. And so, you know, the first thing is you got to make sure that all the content you have is really, really focused. It comes from that core. And so if you look at something and you say that you are about pictures that are really intimate and honest, for example, you shouldn't be showing pictures that look really impressive and really cool. Or if you say it's the opposite, if you say you are about making people look super beautiful, then you don't want to have something that looks like, you know, one of my photographic heroes is Nan Golden. You don't want to have something that looks like Nan Golden where it's snapshotty and raw. Even if it would appear in MoMA, you still don't want to have that because that would violate kind of this perfection that kind of is at your core, right? Mm-hmm. And so whatever it is, you have this why that defines what you're about. You want to make sure like your portfolio is consistent. Everything you talk about is consistent. You don't want to write a paragraph, one talking about how you take intimate pictures and another about how you have perfect, you know, evenly lit, beautiful pictures that are flawless. Well, intimate and flawless, they're not inherently contradictory, but, you know, let's say you take raw, intimate pictures. Right. That would be contradictory, right? Yeah. I mean, people will just start spilling out like every thought they have and every belief they have. And what you need first is you need to make sure that every bit of content, everything you write, everything you say enforces this one picture of this one person who believes in this central why. And then what you need to do is you need to take the core concerns of your audience and you need to figure out where that intersects with your why and tailor it to speak to them. 
And so if you have this audience of people who are looking for lavish weddings for prestige and you shoot perfect pictures, well, what are you going to be talking about? You're going to be talking about how you create these really perfect pictures that allow people to show off in front of their friends, let's say, or look good or captures kind of, or if you want to make it sound more sophisticated, that captures kind of all the thought and sophistication of the couple. And I would never use those words in a right. <laughs> but you get the idea. Yeah. But if they're a hipster couple, I mean, it's going to be a completely different intersection. It's like you have to ask yourself, well, your why in this case is about taking these really beautiful, perfect pictures because you believe that, you know, when you show a flawless picture, it shows kind of the truest manifestation and the most perfect version of someone. Then you have to figure out, well, why would a hipster person be interested in that? And you have to, again, you have to kind of find that overlap because, you know, the hipster couple, they're probably not going to be doing it to show off and they're probably not going to be doing it to have a really lavish affair. And so it's always those two intersections, right? You take what you're about and you trim it down and you make sure you have nothing that violates and you find that intersection between that and what your audience is really looking for out of you. Mm -hmm. And so there's no like one answer I can Mm -hmm. give other than I can say, it's like, well, you got to get focused and it's got to be something that matters to your audience. And if there are any two things, I mean, if you just keep asking those two questions relentlessly, if you got up every single day and you said, does this matter to my audience? And is this consistent with whatever it is? I think, you know, whatever reasons you think you take your pictures, I mean, it'll start to shape itself and it'll start to make sense. And so I don't have hard and fast rules. And the reason I don't have hard and fast rules is because, well, it depends on your audience and everything and what you do and why you do it and everything else. Yeah. But, but honestly, I mean, you know, the funny thing is a lot of times, like, it's just there's this natural resistance. Like when you are in your marketing shoes, like when this happens to me all the time, you're thinking, okay, what is the exact fix? You know, what are the exact steps? And, you know, to some measure. There are just steps you can take. There are things, for example, to define your why. There are things you can do to research your audience. But you also kind of have to take a measure of belief and faith in your own ability. And you have to say, okay, I can do this and I can work through this. And trust that as you look at something, that even if you do like one tiny thing every single day, that, you know, in 365 days, it's going to be, if you do that at the end of a year, it's going to be a day and night difference and you're going to understand your audience and understand your content in a whole different way. Love it. Do you feel like a website is specifically since we're talking about, you know, say the wedding photographer or family photographer, do you feel like the point of a website is really there just for them to kind of understand your work, what you're about, your why, whatever. And then the next step would be to contact you or do you feel like a website should be a place where a client can feel like they can answer all the questions that they may have without having to contact you. Because I see a lot of photographers that try to answer every possible question that a client might have yeah. on their website right. before they even contact them because they're just scared to have a conversation. Yeah. I mean, it's really too bad. I think one of the lost opportunities is that everyone in the world hates the subject of sales and sales of course is starts where you have any form of contact that's after the inquiry comes in and where you actually talk with people or, you know, with some people, they go back and forth by email and what have you, right? And so it's like sales is that point where it becomes like a one-to-one relationship and you're actually tailoring everything you say to just this one person. And people hate, I know, like you say, sales and nobody likes that as a subject. And I know that kind of when I started working on sales, I hated it myself and I would just think of people in cheap suits. <laughs> but with that said, I mean, truly, there is nothing that is really going to be more powerful than having a great conversation. You can get someone on the phone and you can get them talking and you can actually relate to them. There's nothing that is more compelling. 
that's going to differentiate you more than actually being able to talk with people. And so I really, to me, I think the goal for a website should always be, you know, you always want to think smaller steps. You talked about sales funnels. And to me, like what you always want to do is think, what is the smallest step I can have? You know, what can I get people to do? What is the smallest thing I can get people to do to push them a little further on the path to hiring me? Because, you know, the smaller the steps, the less resistance there is. And so it's a big ask to say, take a look at my website and hire me. But it's not a big ask to say, take a look at my website and talk to me. Mm -hmm. Much, much easier. And so, you know, as to whether a website should answer everything or not, I mean, in general, I would say, no, I think the goal of a website is to get people to have a conversation. But kind of in more general principles, well, it depends on everything that's happened before. It depends on how you have your sales funnel set up. It depends right. on how, you know, what steps you guide people through and, you know, taking the time to define those steps and make sure that they all fit. But yeah, I'm going to say though, you know, if you say, okay, draw a line in the sand, which direction am I going to go? My goal is to get people to have a conversation and that's it. You know, it's a much smaller step and it gets me in touch with people and it starts to make me a human being instead of just a photographer who's got a website with a bunch of pictures where people analyze it. Again, you know, you stick it in a spreadsheet and and you just see it like, you know, your job is to compare every photographer and just evaluate them by their pictures and their copy. And it's like, I don't want that. I want them evaluating me as me. Mm-hmm. And that starts with a conversation. I love that. Let's switch gears a little bit. I was going through some of your blog and I was just reading some of the articles you've written. Yeah. One of the things that seems that you really love talking about is vision and standing out. Yeah. The right. photography world's kind of become this mediocre thing of blah. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Sameness. So one of the things I read about is you're talking about this idea of like chasing validation, which kind of comes through social media and chasing the red button because <laughs> it's a new notification. Right. So like, how do you feel like as photographers chasing validation through social media is hurting us from creating great, unique work? One of the things I would say a lot, and it's funny, I'm thinking about it. I really haven't said this to anyone for a while, but one of the phrases I used to always say is I always said that good exists and great does not. And what I meant by that is, you know, being good is fairly easy because good is just what everyone in the world sees as kind of the standard of what's acceptable and considered high in quality and is the thing that, you know, a proper professional does. But true greatness always exists ahead of the curve. It always breaks the mold. Anytime something is great, it changes the way everyone else does things. It's something that people have not seen before. You don't say something is, you know, groundbreaking when it's exactly the same as everybody else. But if something is exactly the same as everyone else who's good, you do say, oh, that's very good. That's, you know, the quality is well executed. It's professional. And so the nature of greatness is that it is different at its core. It has to be different. You know, if it's not different, it's not going to be great. And so the thing is, usually what people are going to react to by default more than anything is when things are really good. Whenever you see something and you're like, this is really professional and just, you know, like it, just like what I'm used to seeing by all the other good people. I saw this in a, maybe a fashion magazine or some top photographer who, you know, and rangefinders, you know, shits like that. And it's like, I know every time I see that something like that, that's something really good. So, you know, add a boy and let me click the like button. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the thing about difference is that, you know, a lot of times difference does not result in more likes. Difference does not result in people instantly seeing it and saying, oh, you know, this is super exciting. 
what it results in a lot of times is, strangely enough, confusion. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. if you look at the greatest stuff out there, it takes the public a while to kind of come to digest it and to understand it. And so here's the thing, though. Here's why I think that's so important. Because you look at that and you'd hear that and you'd think, well, if your job is to market, you want people to love it, right? You want people to recognize it's good. And so it's like, why would you want to be great? But there are two things about it. The first is, like, if you are good in the same way as everybody else, you there's too much competition now. And it didn't used to be that way, but now there is. And so okay, as long as someone can go somewhere else and get the same thing for less, they will. Mm-hmm. And so you have to be different because once you are different, that means there is no choice but to hire you if someone likes it. And so it's like, well, okay, you turn away twice as many people, but the people you keep are going to pay four times as much. Well, that's a net gain, right? But I think the two parts that are, first, if you understand desire and you understand marketing the right way, then you'll understand how to get people interested to learn about things that, I mean, obviously you're not trying to go so far out there that people are like, I don't get this at all. And nobody, like, except like, you know, 0.001% of the population likes what you do as a business, at least. Yeah. As a business, <laughs> that would be great. But as a business, I mean, that's a tough play. But you know, if you know how to do your marketing and you know how to create the attraction and desire, you can get people interested. It's kind of like when you go to a museum and you take that tour and people start to talk about it. And these artists who at first you thought, eh, I don't really know that I'm that into them. And they start to talk about all the things they did and all that went into it. And pretty soon you're like, these people are amazing. And you need to kind of create that attraction and interest to lead people down a path where they're going to start to build a bond with your pictures. But the other part of it is just at a personal level, as a creator, as a person, with a voice and who's taking pictures and wants to have something to say is that when you shoot for difference, you're starting to find kind of the, the edges. You're starting to find the real you. Because, you know, I always say it's like, you know, no person is ever defined by how they're similar to everybody else. Like you don't mm. say like, I don't know, Spencer, he drinks water. So that's a really Spencer thing because everybody drinks water. But if I drink this water in a weird way where I don't know, let's say I always tap the glass a couple times before I don't. Right. If I did that, it's like, that's a really Spencer sort of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, once you start to find difference and you start to find the difference that you find rewarding and meaningful, you're starting to find kind of the part that's really is you. And it takes a while to understand that. It's not like an instant overnight thing. But as you develop that, and as you understand your own voice more and more, it gets easier and easier to see exactly what types of pictures you should take, exactly why you're taking those pictures. You start to become more sensitized to kind of all the things, like the few split seconds before the picture ever materializes. You start to feel like it's going to happen because you know what you're looking for. And you're not looking for a thousand different things. You're looking for like the one thing that you know is what you're about. And so the more you develop that understanding, the more focus it brings to your pictures and the more clearly they communicate. And funny enough, that actually ties into marketing too, because the more you understand that, the more forcefully you can get that why out there and the more forcefully you can communicate it. And people will see it and they will respond. And if you are going for the middle of the market where you're targeting the client that every single person is chasing, it may be that you take something that is good and people recognize your quality and say that's very solid photography and you never offend anybody and no one ever questions it. But the problem is that, you know, you're competing against like a thousand times more people. Right. And so there's no way of succeeding in that type of environment. It becomes like a race to the bottom, right? And, mm. and the only thing you can compete on if there's ample supply of people who are of equivalent quality, it's going to be lowering your price. 
which means that you are going to get less for your time. And it's just kind of a vicious cycle. So now you have less energy to invest and less time to invest in, in developing your shots and everything. And you feel more pressure to conform. And pretty soon, like all you're doing is you're churning out stuff that doesn't feel meaningful to you because you feel like you're supposed to shoot what everyone else shoots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have a really great quote from Spielberg I read on one of your blogs. It says, your inner voice is almost always a whisper. Yeah. You have to still your mind to hear it. Talk about, I guess, that quote, like why you put that in there, like what you see in that that you really loved. Yeah, you know, Spielberg, you know, he said it better than I can. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you know, it has to be a whisper because by nature, we're social creatures. And it's actually, it fits in perfectly with a good, great idea, right? I mean, we feel safest when we conform. And Mm -hmm. conform is a word with a lot of baggage. And honestly, I don't know. I was about to say, I don't mean to offend anyone, and I don't. But maybe I actually do want all the baggage that goes with conformity, right? I mean, you know, it's got a lot of negative connotation because who wants to be the middle of the herd and who wants to not stand out, not be recognized for who they really are. But the thing is, our urge kind of as human beings, as a creature, as an animal, our urge is to be in the middle. Like the way Seth Godin puts it is, like, you know, you go back to the way back when in the ancient days, and, you know, the person at the head of the pack, well, they get eaten first. Right. People in the middle, <laughs> they're safe. Yeah. And so if you're living in a world where you've got a small little tribe of 50 people or 100 people, right, everyone has value. Everyone's important. Your job is to get along with everyone well. And it's like, you don't need to find your unique thing. If you've got a 50 or 100 people in your tiny little tribe, every person is valuable and important. You just chip in and do your stuff, right? But we don't live in that world. And so we have this urge which says, okay, I want to kind of look at what's out there and I want to look at what people are doing and I want to to shoot something similar. Like, I think everyone has felt the pressure to shoot either the same types of shots, like they see, like, there was a certain period where everyone was shooting mason jars, and this is a little while back now. But back then, you just felt like, oh my God, if I'm not shooting a wedding right, if I don't get a shot, look for the cool mason jar shot or the cool ring shot or whatever, or the cool shoe shot, too. And so there's this temptation to either want to shoot the same types of shots or shoot in the same style. Like you see everyone is toning a picture a certain way, and you think, I should tone it that way because that's the thing to do. And it's just very instinctual. Even if you don't think about it, you will just naturally gravitate towards wanting to do those things. And there's just this huge sense of pressure. (laughs) And there's this huge sense of like, I've had it where like one of the things that's been like super popular for the past, I don't know, five years is tiny little people dead center in the middle of a picture, right? (laughs) In a beautiful landscape. And I remember I was shooting that shot for a while and I would start to feel really insecure if I didn't get a picture just like that because it was like the thing to do. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is that you shoot that and it's like, well, it looks exactly the same as everybody else. And I would notice that like, yeah, people would like them and my clients would like them and other photographers would like them. But it was never really the thing where people would say, oh, that is really Spencer's thing. <laughs> That's what he brings to the table. That's why they're really hiring me. Yeah. But I just felt so insecure at a certain point because it's like, well, everybody's doing it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think it's always in whispers because difference is hard. It's hard and it's unclear and it's murky and you got to go out there. You know, shooting the same as everyone is kind of easy because you have a frame of reference. You say, okay, I just need to compose it this way and look for this type of light because you've seen other people do it, a thousand other people do it before. And it's really easy to kind of decode like how to shoot in a similar way if you see a shot enough out there. But when you're shooting for difference and you're shooting for yourself, you don't have any of that. You, you know, you're just diving without a parachute. You're just going out there and you've got no protection and you're just trusting 
your instincts and your ability and you have to figure it out and you have to shoot something that's not like anything you've ever shot before or at least a little bit different a little unique right and not like something other people are shooting so you don't have that thing in your head saying this is how you should shoot it this is how you should compose it there's no security blanket any longer and it's going to be a whisper you have to like tune out all that pressure to copy other people but even to copy yourself and you have to let go of that and you have to say i am only going to pay attention to what is in front of me and observe and let myself get immersed in the moment and notice the tiny details and see how it makes me feel see how i react to it and the funny thing is it's shockingly hard you'd think it'd be easy for someone to figure out how they react you know what they're thinking in response to something but it's really not like if you ever go out there and try to figure out what you're actually thinking and what you're feeling in reaction to a scene and then figure out a composition for it and how to you know take the picture it's really hard so you know my feeling is well okay you've got this pressure you've got to shut that down you've got to shut down the voices telling you to be a certain way compose a certain way and all that you have to let go and you just have to listen to what you're feeling and so to me that's the whisper mm-hmm. and it is it's always there you've always got a thought in the back of your head but it's always like the thought in the back of your head it's never the thought in the front of your head and it's a very quiet subtle thing and so it's kind of a very zen meditative sort of thing really in my mind right yeah no i love it i mean when you talk about stillness to me, I reference a few things of like, we're always distracted, we're always staring at our phones, we're always just listening to something. We don't just sit in silence very often. If we're at a bus stop or we're waiting on something, we're, I'll just check my phone, I'll check my email, I'll answer a client back. And we don't even take five minutes just to maybe just ask ourselves, like you're saying, is like, what am I feeling right now? I know that feels very like, ooh, I know, kind of exactly, weird, right. but <laughs> right. you're like checking in with yourself. Yeah. And I think a lot of people were going through just emotions all the time. We're always moving. Yeah. And that we're not just stopping and being like, how am I doing? Like, what am I feeling? And then turn around asking that, like, how can I take that energy, that emotion, that feeling, and put it into a two-dimensional piece of art? Right. I just heard this thing today. It was talking about attention in marketing. Yeah. And the book was making the point that we are always paying attention to something, but we can only pay attention to one thing. Yes. And that's it. And the thing is that you can pay attention to what you're feeling in the moment. But I think, at least for myself, I find like, you know, there are a lot of days where 99.9% of the time I'm thinking about what's going to happen five minutes down the road, 10 minutes down the road, an hour down the road, what I'm going to do at night to entertain myself. (laughs) And in a way, it's like, you know, on those bad days, I'm not even in the moment. You know, my focus in my mind is 0% focused on whatever is in front of my eyes and it's almost over let's say one percent and the other 99 percent is thinking about what's going to happen in the future Mm -hmm. and if you can only pay attention to one thing and your mind is occupied on let's say your phone or your plans for the night or your plans for the weekend then you, you will not notice whatever's happening in front of your eyes that's very true yeah i would even say this is something i mean i've been i've read some of this recently but where I experience this kind of you can only focus on one thing at a time issue. Mm-hmm. I listen to a bunch of podcasts. So if I'm like cleaning or doing something, I'm listening to podcasts. And then if I happen to go to like check my phone and let's say like read an email or check an email or just like scroll Facebook or Twitter or whatever, my mind shuts off the audio that I'm listening to and I will be reading to comprehend what I'm reading. Yeah. And then I have no idea what I just listened to. I can't do both at the same time. So I have to like go back 
Or I just leave it and just know, like, I had no idea what they just talked about for two minutes, and I'll just have to figure out what I missed. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. And that's kind of how pictures work. You know, you've got this narrative. It's an infinite amount happening in front of your eyes. And you can notice that, or you can notice in your head, you can kind of reference your inner library and say, okay, you know, how would so-and-so shoot this? And what do their pictures look like? And either your mind is focused on what's in front of you, or it's focused on kind of what you're thinking of. And so you have this choice of either trying to force frame reality to look like something that you have stored in your head, because that's where your focus is, or listening to what you see and what's happening around you. And I think everyone should actually just do a simple exercise where they just go out and they force themselves to sit still for five minutes and just pay attention to whatever thoughts float through their head. Because usually we tune that out and we try to kind of go and fill our lives with 10 things at once. And all that happens is we really notice nothing. Mm -hmm. But if you sit still for five minutes and you just write out, I mean, photography is no different, right? Because if you can't observe it, then you can't react to it and you can't know what you're feeling and thinking and seeing. But if you just sit there and watch for five minutes and you write out whatever thoughts come to your mind, not as they come, but you just notice this is what I thought and I'm just going to keep watching what's out there. And then after you're done with that five minutes, you write it out, you'll notice like there's so much more going on inside our heads and there's so much more that we observe than we give ourselves credit for. And I think that's the core of what voice really is. It's that ability to find that whisper and shut everything else out and live kind of this life of trust where you say, I have the ability to see something in front of me and react to it. And I'm going to let myself see that thing and react to it. Love it. Wow. Well, thank you so much for taking your time. I know you're busy. Tell everybody where to find you. Absolutely. Best place to find me is to go and check out my blog. And also, I mean, I tell everyone they should hop on to the free little mini course Mm -hmm. because that's actually the best place to hear about me is through my newsletter because I don't post every single thing that I write up and I send a lot more emails out talking about different ideas, strategies, things you can do with your marketing, but also just thoughts mm -hmm. about how to observe and kind of all the things that we've talked about. And so that's all through the newsletter. So I tell everyone to sign up because you will get way more there along with the free course than you will get if you just read the blog. Right. So the place to go, www.ground dash glass.com and then from there on the home page there's this big old box and you just put in your email and you're set perfect yeah don't forget the dash ground dash glass.com i don't even know where it goes if it yep. dash i don't remember anymore right <laughs> I, all i remember is someone had that and i couldn't get it so right yes. dang it yeah. yeah i've been there i know it. well thanks man appreciate it yeah great talking yeah Thanks for listening to this episode with Spencer Lum. If you would like to connect with him, make sure to sign up for his amazing newsletter full of helpful content at ground-glass.com. Thanks to James Sweeting for editing and mixing this episode. Thanks to all of our supporters on Patreon that make this possible. You can become a supporter at patreon.com slash musea. And thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks.